If you have a Bible, whether in a copy like this or on your phone or on your tablet or whatever you've got, I want to read one of the Psalms of Ascent, which is in Psalms, going to be number 126, and it's a real short one. I'm going to read the whole thing. It says, a song, a song for the ascent up to Jerusalem. The people gathered and they were in joy. Listen to the words. When the Lord restored his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. The outsiders said it. Do you get that? Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go and plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. We have a, if you've listened to the news much in the last couple of months, it seems like one week after another, there's been another mega billions jackpot. And as the news reporters are always there in the convenience store, trying to interview the people who are buying those lottery tickets, uh, they always ask the same dumb question. You know what it is, it's running through your own mind, isn't it? What will you do if you win with all that money? I don't know what it would take for each one of you um, to feel like you were filthy rich. How much money would it take? Uh, you know, a million dollars, ten million dollars, I don't know what it would take. For donkey's years, I would go out to the mailbox. I mean, from the time that Julie and I were married, I'd go out to the mailbox and I'd come in and I'd say, well, we didn't get our $30,000 check today that came anonymously. I mean, I said that for 20 years, every day I came in from the mail. I mean, $30,000 when Julie and I were first married was a fortune, and I was going to be filthy rich. Forget about billions. That's all I was looking for back then. The Jewish people in this psalm had not just lost a fortune. They had lost everything. They had lost their homes and their homeland. They had lost their temple. Remember a couple of weeks ago I talked to you about the story of coming back and rebuilding the wall and the gates and some of that. It was just, they had, they had lost everything. But now the Persian emperor and Persian empire had come in and conquered the Babylonian empire that had sent the Jews into exiles and that Persian king Cyrus said, if you want to go back home, go back home. Well, they were excited, but what did they go back to? Devastation. They had nothing. It was destroyed. But here they are now in Psalm 126, and they're celebrating an event that they're coming back. And there's one of the words that I wrote down here in my notes was, because it seemed appropriate, there was hilarity. They were just giddy. They were back home. It was exciting. They were back and the outsiders were saying, look what your God has done for you. 
Ooh, isn't that an interesting phrase? If people would say around Concord and Loudoun, look what God's doing for the people at New Beginnings. Wow, it's amazing. And it, they said, we were like men who dreamed. Their mouths were filled with laughter. They sang with joy. And the people said, it's true. The Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Okay, here's where I'm going to stop and do something unusual. What else is new? Lately, doing things unusual, huh? Over the last three weeks, we have now heard report after report, and I've even seen it now on the national, I saw one on the national news of the revival going on down at Asbury University. Not just on Facebook, not just on a Christian site, on a network station, they showed the inside of the chapel at Asbury with kids on their knees and a worship team, and I just went, yes! God is doing something new down there. Now, I am going to ask if there's anybody here who wants to give a testimony. Now, because people at home need to hear it, I want you to come and grab this mic from me. If God is doing something new in your life and you'd like to share it with somebody, with all of us, I'll wait. Linda? Some of you may not know this, but I've been <clears throat> estranged from my daughter-in-law for about five years when she abandoned my son and their two children. She went into a life of drugs, bad men, drinking, whatever, and we hadn't spoken until about a, ten days ago when she called me and told me oh, she has finished rehab, she's in a 12-step program, she sees her counselor every week, and she's now going to church because it's what she knew she had to do. Good. To me, that's God at work. Great. That is a God sighting, right? Yeah. Does that encourage you? Yes. Anyone else have something you could say to, that would encourage others? Lorna? No, wait till I get here. You speak so soft anyhow. <laughs> we'd never hear it. I just want to Put that right in your mouth. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just want to say that God is really... <laughs> laying the church on my heart. Our local congregation. All I want to say is that we'll have the same kind of outpouring that has come upon Asbury. We need the Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is, come Holy Spirit. That God will take us out of ourselves. We'll bring the healing that we need and be poured out upon us. Uh, it's coming. 
I believe it's coming. I'm trusting. Thank you, Lorna. Susan. Lorna, thank you so much for that testimony. This past two weeks, my devotions have been on the Holy Spirit and the Lenten season. And last night, I said, you know, Lord, I just want to sense your presence. And lo and behold, Pastor John, I not only was on time, (laughs) but these two little fellows greeted me, helped me with my bags. I said, wow, what a wonderful greeting to have little children. I miss my little children when I taught. I I retired from Concord Christian Academy from teaching. I miss those little children that loved me so much. But this congregation loves me too, and I want to thank you for all the help in moving and these wonderful little guys helping me. We have a wonderful church here, and the and you see it as the Holy Spirit works through us, not just in feeling His presence, but in doing His will. Thank you, Susan. I think each one of us could say with the Jews there, it's true. The Lord has done amazing things for us. And he's doing it. If we would just sometimes, I hate to say it this way, sometimes we just need to recognize it. We just need to open our eyes and see, yeah, that is what the Lord is doing around us right now. The Lord is changing us and the Lord is helping us. Now, although the details differ, I know each one of us can say, before I met Jesus Christ, my life was like this, but now it's like that. God is helping, and God is moving, and God is working within me. Now, I want to put something up here, too, and think about this. God will restore New Beginnings fortunes. Uh, I was saying to someone... uh, I guess it was the guys when we came in for a motley crew a couple of weeks ago. We walked into the sanctuary to come in for prayer. And uh, I said, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when we add another row back in. And then when we add another row back in after that. And then we add another row back in after that. You know, we took, you know, well, I didn't. I wasn't around doing it. But chairs were taken out a few years ago so the sanctuary would look fuller. I'm looking forward to the day when the place needs to have rows put back. That the Lord would restore our fortunes. Now, we can look at that in all kinds of different ways, and I plan to look at it in some different ways this morning. Here's from the message, the way that Peterson paraphrases it. God was wonderful to us. Was. And now, God, do it again. Bring rains to our drought-stricken lives. He doesn't say lands, he said lives. Bring refreshment, bring newness to our drought-stricken lives. 
Now, the phrase, restore our fortunes, which is in the uh, NLT that I read and in the NIV and I think in the King James as well, that phrase, restore our fortunes, is used repeatedly through the Old Testament. You can find it, and I, I don't know, I looked up a load of places. I can't give you the number right now. Uh, and it always had something to the idea of the people coming back home, of the people being there. Well, they're there now. And they're saying, do it again. You've restored us, but do it again. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, it says there in verse 4. Although they're back in their homeland, their homeland was in shambles. The captors had uh, stolen everything, broken down, you know, burned their homes, burned the, as I even said to you two weeks ago when I was here, um, they had broken down the wall of Jerusalem. They had burned the gates of Jerusalem. They had destroyed the temple. They had taken everything out of the temple. Everything was a mess. Perhaps that's why the psalmist uses this phrase. Those who patiently sow in tears will eventually reap with songs of joy. At the moment, they looked around and said, we can't do this on our own. We've got to have God with us. We know that in God's providence, rebuilding often takes time. I was talking to my son last night. Um, Tim and I have um, walked a similar path the last few years in that we both like to uh, plant a garden and flowers and stuff like that, and we start them from seed. We're both idiots, okay? Rather than going to a greenhouse and buying the stuff, we start them ourselves. It's more work. But it's kind of fun, okay? Now, I said to Tim, this week I'll probably be starting my tomato plants and some zinnias and petunias and a few other things. He said, Dad, you better get them in soon. But you know something? Here's what I was thinking as I was after I got done talking with Tim. I'm going to enjoy those tomatoes, <clears throat> but that's a long way from now before those nice, big, juicy tomatoes come off the vine. And those petunias and zinnias and marigolds that I will plant are going to bloom along the path out front where Julie will eventually plant them out. I don't plant them out. Oh, snowplow going through. Okay. <laughs> Thought the rapture had happened. <laughs> okay. But it's going to take time. I'm, uh, I've got a little packet of seeds now. I can't eat the packet of seeds. Well, I suppose I could, but there wouldn't be much joy in eating a packet of zinnia seeds, would there? Those who patiently sow in tears will eventually reap with songs of joy. Sometimes when we're talking about this restoration thing and turning things around and getting back where the, where the Lord wants us, it might just take time. But I want to take the rest of this message in a direction a little bit different because it seems like as, as I worked on it over the last two weeks, this is the way that I think I needed to go this morning. Restoration of our finances. If my records are correct, and I think they are, 
The last time I spoke to you about stewardship, finance, giving, anything like that, was January 1st of 2008. That's 15 years ago, the last time I ever said anything to you about finances. Now, you, after the service, you can come and say, no, you, you don't remember. Uh, but I don't remember either Pastor Josh or Pastor David ever preaching about stewardship or finance. I, I don't remember that ever happening. So I think after a 15-year hiatus, maybe as we're talking about restoring stuff, we need to think a little bit this morning about finance as well. So hopefully I'm not going to get to do this stuff much longer. We'll have a new pastor and so, well, we won't go there. So the verse that we always need to use when we talk about this, or the verse is from Malachi chapter 3, verses 8, 9, and 10. Will a man rob God? God says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how do I rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you. Boy, is our nation under a curse or what right now? Because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I do not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you will not have enough room for it. What a... Test me and see what I might do if you will honor me the way that you should, says the Lord. I can only stick my pages here. <clears throat> Someone has observed that um, trust involves letting go and knowing that God will catch you. The writer of Proverbs says it this way, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and depend not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I always knew her as Mrs. Hall. I'm going to paint a picture of you, okay? Picture for you, not of you of her for you. There, I'll speak better. Picture an 80-year-old lady. We'll call her pleasantly plump. We'll be kind. Picture her with gray hair, always 100% of the time in braids. When she was at church, they were in piles on top of her head. I got to know Mrs. Hall through her granddaughter, Carol, who Julie and I were in our mid-twenties, and we got to know Carol, who was in her probably early twenties, and she had an unbelievable voice. And I could have brought this morning two big albums of hers that she recorded of Christian music. Uh, she was a, a singer. And we got to know her grandma th through that. For Now, i got to tell you, I could really take this story for a half hour here, but this woman could cook. She could bake, and she would bribe me as this young kid pastor to come and visit her. Pastor John, I just made some chocolate chip cookies. They're still soft, and I'd come. Pastor John, I just made some, you know, it was always like that. But she said, Tomorrow is my 80th birthday. We're going to have some of the family over. I'd like you to come. Well, 
I'm making my own birthday cake. Well, I knew that would be good, so I figured I would come for the party. Okay? I got there, and I see out in the driveway a Harley. And I said to her, Mrs. Hall, what's the Harley doing here? Well, that was my one birthday present I wanted. You wanted a Harley? No, I wanted my grandson to come and pick me up and give me a ride. I'd never been on a motorcycle in my life. Now, when Mrs. Hall was home, her hair was never up. It was always these two long pigtails that came down to her waist. And I envisioned that day the little shorty helmet and these pigtails flying out behind her on the Harley. I said to her, were you scared? No. Were you worried? No. I just kept telling my grandson, go faster. And I said, are you sure? She said, I knew, and picture this now, picture this young guy in his leather jacket on his Harley, and here's this 80-year-old woman with her arms wrapped around his waist, hugging him tight. And she said, I knew as long as I was hugging him tight, he wouldn't do anything foolish. I knew he would get me to where I needed to go. Guys, that was almost 50 years ago I heard Mrs. Hall tell me that story. And as somebody said in my hearing the other day by the name of Deb Jordan, that'll preach. When the driver is hugging you tight, I knew he wouldn't do anything foolish with hugging me. You can have confidence in your driver, Jesus Christ. You may walk some paths in this thing we'll call stewardship or whatever you want to think about right now. But with Jesus there, he's leading the way and you just hold on for the ride. In determining how much we will give to God's work in this church, we sometimes are hesitant to give the percentage we know we should because we're tempted to wonder, will I have enough left over for my needs? This is where trust and obey comes in. His directions, okay, let me just give you this from Billy Graham. Our lives must, this is where the sermon title comes from as well, okay, today? Our lives must be consistent with the slogan on our coins, in God we trust. Do you trust God? Will you trust your driver? Acting confidently involves a spirit of trust. Jesus said to his followers, sell your possessions and give to the poor, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and, more, and no moth destroys. But where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's kind of a fun verse, isn't it? Uh, provide for yourself a purse that will not wear out. Uh, do you have wallets that have worn out? Yeah, we, we all do. We have to throw them away and get something new. He's not talking about a physical purse, a physical wallet. He's talking about a spiritual one. He's talking about putting your money someplace where it won't 
wear out, where it won't go away. Oh, let's see. Let's go to this one. Martin Luther. I have held many things in my hands and have lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hand, that I still possess. Hmm. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Isn't that something? I mean, it really is. Luther also observed this. Let me read another one from him. There are, th ooh, this is a hard one. This is, don't, don't read it. There are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the mind, and the purse. Of these three, the conversion of the purse is the most difficult. Once we make that conversion, though, we become a source of blessing to so many others. I want to read to you again uh, from the message, Peterson's paraphrase of Scripture. Be generous. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. A bank in heaven far from bank robbers. Safe from embezzlers. A bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be. And what's that last phrase? And end up being. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured out into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I know that privately, like in Bible studies and things, I know I've commented on this before. I don't think I've ever commented on it here in, in the sanctuary. Again, it was many years ago, in reading that verse, privately just sitting by myself in my study, long time ago. The Lord pointed something out to me. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. At that point, I felt like I was giving to the Lord teaspoons, but I wanted him to be using cups. I was using little tiny measures to give to him, but I wanted him to bless me with bigger units of measurement. And the Lord said, dummy, don't you see what I said here? With the measure you use, it will be measured, as one of the scriptures says, back to you. Things changed for me at that point. How you doing on some of the scripture? I'm throwing an awful lot of scripture at you this morning. This isn't John White. This is the Old Testament prophets and Jesus Christ. Jesus' words here, not mine. While looking up uh, that previous verse in the message, that one from, uh, was it Luke 12? Um, I also then decided to go to, and look this one up, the same verse here again, but just get it the translation from or the paraphrase from Peterson. 
give, your, give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back. Given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. I mean, you can look at those two verses in the way that is a, let's say, a very literal translation of Scripture, and then a paraphrase of what Jesus was saying. I like them both. I can't say I like one better than the other, but they both speak to my heart. Do they speak to yours? I sure hope they do. Generosity begets generosity. The return from captivity was tied to obedience. And this has been true for centuries. Hundreds of years before the people of Israel went into captivity, the Lord told them this. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come upon you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations and when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you today, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. What is God saying to you today? Is he saying anything to you? Or are you saying, I just hope he gets done quickly? Have you been obedient to him in terms of sowing the seeds of financial investment? Someone has observed this. You can't take your money to heaven, but you can certainly invest it for eternity. What kind of financial investments have you been making for the kingdom of God? Perhaps some of you have been thinking as I've been saying this, that um, I'm trying to have confidence in God. I'm trying to have confidence that he will restore my fortunes, but I'm not there yet, so what do I do? So the best advice is I'm going back to this same verse again. We had it up there earlier. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. God says, you just can't outdo me or outgive me. Sometimes we need to think a little bit about stretching and seeing what God might do. Billy Graham couple of things I want to use to bring this to a conclusion. Giving to God is a guaranteed investment with a certain return. Investment in God is a no-risk, always profitable act that is not subject to the whim of the stock market or of economic uncertainties. Has the stock market been doing anything dumb lately? How many of you have lost some money in the stock market? Hmm? Your 401k, or in my case, a 403b, has gone, <laughs> gone into the tank, you know? Yeah. But what I've invested for Jesus Christ is still there. Hasn't lost 25% like others have. The Duke of Wellington. Um, no, somebody's not knocking at the door. He's chipping ice. Uh, the Duke of Wellington holds, a, a, I think, a special place in Western history. Uh, he defeated Napoleon 
at Waterloo in 1815, one of his biographers made a fascinating uh, statement about him. He wrote this about the Duke. I found an old account ledger that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue to what he thought was really important than reading his letters and speeches. If someone were to write your biography, someone who, had never, who never met you and never will meet you personally, and all that they will have when you're gone to write the history of your life, to write your biography, all they have is your checkbook, your credit card statement, and your tax return. What would they say was important to you? If that's an ouch statement, it was meant to be. If that's all they have, what would it say? We understand, of course, that everything we have comes from God's hand. We're stewards of all that he has given us. Let's rise to the occasion and put our confidence in God, embracing trust and exercising commitment let's reject selfishness and move forward with hope if we will walk in confidence to obedience to him he will bring a harvest of blessings our lives according to billy graham our lives must be consistent with the slogan on our coins in god we trust bow your heads with me Lord, I, I guess I have to agree with uh, Martin Luther when he talked about the three conversions we need and which one is the hardest. Lord, it's not a lot of fun to talk about money. And sometimes people throw stones and say the church is always talking about money. Well, I can know, Lord, it's been 15 years since I've talked about money. But, Father, I know it is a part of our commitment to you. I know it's a part of what this church needs as we're going to move forward, as we think about a new pastor coming. We're going to need to think very seriously about funding the mission right here. Lord, I pray now that you would speak to every one of our hearts. And if you need to prod some of us, do so. If you need to show us ways we can make things work, do that as well. But Lord, help us to be obedient to whatever you ask each one of us to do for your kingdom work in this place such a time as this. In Christ's name, amen.